are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. Joy. I mean, it's just been incredible from the prophetic night, worship, prayer, all these amazing things going on. So I hope you find yourself in a good place in the Lord, thriving in the Lord. But let's dive right into the word of God today because you know what? I think he wants you to be encouraged today. So if you're ready to be encouraged, say, I'm ready. I'm ready too. So Psalm 84, here we go. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Friends, we have a living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs or wells. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord, God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. That's our provider and protector. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. The first thing you need to know is what Baca is. It talked about the Valley of Baca, and it has a double meaning. And the first meaning is, of all things, a garbage dump. It was a place outside of the camp where all the refuse and all the decomposing carcasses and all the contaminated stuff were discarded. It was necessary, but it stunk. You wouldn't want to linger. It's a literal place, but it also represents the world, the place outside of the camp of the people of God. Now, all people, even people in the world, are very precious. They're not the garbage. But the world's systems and philosophies and ways so intent on sin, those are garbage. And the closer you live to God, the more you comprehend how dark the world is in contrast. Baca, a spiritual garbage dump. And the second meaning of Baca is a place of tears. It's often a desert. It represents times of struggles and pain and barrenness. One author said, growing strong in God's presence is often preceded by a journey through barren places in our lives. So true. 
A place of tears is something that we all must face as we travel through life. It can happen very suddenly, as in an accident, or it can creep up on us gradually, as in a chronic illness. It can come in any form, at any time, from any direction. And sometimes we understand the reason for it, but most often we have no idea why we're forced to travel through the Valley of Baca. It's a certainty for all, though, including Christians. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It comes to all of us, even the Jobs who are walking uprightly. And you say, um, Pastor Greta, I think you mentioned that this was going to be an encouraging word. And so far, let's see, we've got garbage dumps, tears, trials. I know, I know, just hold on, we're getting there. Look at the beginning of verse 6. Blessed is the one who passes through the valley of Baca. You're sure to go through it, but when you do, make sure you go through it and get out the other side. Don't linger, don't camp out at Baca or get used to it. Don't form your identity around it. Verse five says, blessed is the one who has set their heart on pilgrimage. See, they're intent on getting through it to the good stuff that God has for us. Those people, there's a seriousness about their walk. Oh, they might be fun people, but they're serious about God. There's a pressing in. Just like we pressed in to worship this morning. Just like we pressed in in the night of overnight prayer. There's a fragrance about those people who have a passionate love for God and his people and his house. People who don't forsake assembling together, who don't take their walk casually. And you can hear that in verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That's a person whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, I'm going somewhere in God. Say it with a little more conviction and excitement, I'm going somewhere in God. See, the question isn't whether or not we will go through a valley of Baca. The question is, how will we respond? So be honest, we're a month into the year, how many people have already had some baka? You've either had some garbage thrown at you, you've had some situations that brought you to tears. Oh, half of you were liars, because I know, I know everybody goes through the valley of baka. How are we gonna respond? As I see it, there's three different choices. There's three responses we might have. And the first one is, we can chafe under it. When life seems to rub us the wrong way, we can be angry or sullen or blame God for the difficulties. And you can even see that in verse three when he says, even the birds have it better than me. They have free access to your presence at any time, any place. 
Even the birds, Lord, really? They have it better than me? And one of the ways you'll know you're chafing under it is when you find yourself asking, why not me? Because sometimes we look around at what others have and what we don't have, and we say, why not me, God? Why couldn't I have that? What's wrong with me? Why can't I have a spouse or kids? Or a different spouse or different kids, right? <laughs> Why couldn't I have a house like that? Why couldn't I have health like that? Why couldn't my job be easy? Or why couldn't it be better paying? Why couldn't I be from a solid family? Others are. Why not me? They're real feelings. And I think even the Bible characters went through this. Paul must have looked at God and said, how many journeys? How many shipwrecks? What are you asking me to do? Um, prison is really not going to look very good on my resume, but hey, you're the boss, whatever you say. But you know, um, Timothy, he gets to stay home and do Zoom meetings. Why not me? Sarah must have said, God, really? At 90, after praying for all these years for a child, now at 90 you decide to give me a baby? Couldn't you have thought of this a few decades ago? You know, maternity clothes really don't look good with orthopedic hose. Other people are in their 20s. Why not me? And Elizabeth, we know Elizabeth must have said this to herself. And she said, um, now let me get this straight. You're telling me, God that my child, my child, is gonna be a locust-eating, fur-bearing recluse who ends up beheaded. <laughs> really? But Mary, my bratty younger cousin, gets to be the mother of the Messiah? What? Who came up with that plan? I wanna talk to management. Really, God? Why not me? And then Abraham, when God came to Abraham and said, I am going to give you a special sign, a miraculous sign, a wonderful sign, an amazing sign of the covenant between you and me. And that marvelous sign is, ta-da, circumcision. <laughs> he must have looked at God and said, what? Noah got the rainbow. What about me? Why not me? We've all said it, right? Why not me? I've said it many times, sometimes in laughter like that, sometimes very seriously. In the hospital after my miscarriages, the other women were handed their babies. And I was truly happy for them. But somewhere in my heart, I also said, but God, why not me? Some people have lifelong friends, 
but my best friend died at 19. Why not me? When others breezed through surgeries, I said, Lord, why not me? Or some people get to have their parents for many, many years. Why not me? When others were given opportunities that I longed for, I said, why not me? But this isn't about me. What about you? Have you ever said in your heart, why not me, Lord? Why not me? I'm kind of thinking that you might have because you're just like me. And with that comes this hurt that wells up. Not only because we don't have that specific thing we requested, but because we know God could have given it to us and didn't. Am I touching any nerves yet? It can be a very painful thing. It feels hurtful, but the truth is this. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright or those whose walk is blameless. It says it right there in verse 11. And we can decide, as Kevin talked about, do we follow our feelings or do we follow the word of God? No good thing, you can read it yourself, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. Can you feel your faith stretching? Let's look at this, because it's a real thing. First, let me say that there's a caveat. This promise is only for those who walk uprightly. That word there, upright or blameless, it doesn't mean perfect. When you study it, it doesn't mean sinless or perfect. We're all sinners. We're all imperfect. We all struggle with sin. But this promise is not for those who are thumbing their noses at God who are indulging in habitual, unrepentant, defiant sin, saying, I can do whatever I want. When I was a nurse, um, I used to take care of this little eight-year-old girl named Andrea. But she couldn't say her name, so it was Ambuya, right? And what Ambuya would do whenever I'd have to give her an, an instruction, like it's time for your meds or whatever, she would put her hand on her hip and she would say this phrase, which I memorized, and I got to tell you, I use sometimes. She would look at me and she'd say, I do what I like, I like what I do, and no one can stop me, not even you. <laughs> and with that, she would, she would give a little and kind of flick her hair in a way I can't do. I do what I like, I like what I do, no one can stop me, not even you. Well, Ambuya didn't know she had met her match. <laughs> so we can try that approach with God. I don't recommend it. It won't get you too far, because with him, you've really met your match. So if you try doing that with him, it won't get you anywhere. But most of us in this room are not Ambuyas. Most of us are trying to follow God the best we can. Yes, we fall. Yes, we make mistakes, have mistakes, we have sin. But we're trying to follow after him. 
And so we know that those who are truly trying to walk with him, you can know with certainty that no good thing will he withhold from you. He will not withhold any good thing from you permanently. There may be a season where he withholds something if he knows it's for your ultimate good. As an example, in my college days, I used to say, why not me? Because other people were getting scholarships and all sorts of help. Even though I had better grades and I didn't party like them and I was giving it my all, I had no help from any direction. And it seemed like God was withholding a good thing from me, right? Help with your education, that's a good thing. I had to work very hard while they goofed off and it hurt me. I was hurt by that. But let me ask you this. Is it just possible that God knew I'd need to develop a backbone? A good work ethic, learn how to save money, how to steward time and be resourceful? Do you think he knew that about me ahead of time? Do you think he knew my survival in ministry would depend on these skills? He knew it. I think he knew and withheld help for a season only to help me in a greater way. It wasn't out of neglect or punishment. It was out of his love that could see over my entire life when I could not. He was acting for me, not against me. Friends, do you know God is for you? He really is for you, not against you. Even when things occurred that had no clear answer like that, each time he gave me a larger portion of himself. Blessed, verse 12 says, is the one who trusts in him. That trust in my relationship with him is a blessing way beyond any missing request. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And your mind can race ahead and say, well, what about this or what about this? What about this exception? What about this? Like I think of, what about when God's given me something but someone else steals it from me? Those things happen, right? Look at Jacob and Esau. So there are situations that are difficult, but even then, he holds that person responsible and he still finds a way to bless us. Once you choose to fully trust that God has your best interest at heart, once we lean on this promise instead of our emotions, even when we don't fully understand, once we know in our knower that we're not being overlooked, we're being looked out for, there's an incredible peace that settles over us. Oh, there's gonna be times where we still struggle with it. There's still times I struggle with why not me. But most often now, when I feel one of those coming on, it's just a prompt to myself to remind myself, why not me? From why not me to wine, not me. Verse 11 assures us that if it would have been good for me, God would have given it to me. There's a powerful story in Exodus 23 
where the Lord's giving the Israelites the promised land and they thought it would look a certain way. They were just sure it would look a certain way. They thought it would be given to them all at once. I mean, why not? God can do anything, right? Why wouldn't he give it to us all at once? But God said, if I did, it wouldn't be good for you. Let me read um, just a little portion of that in Exodus 23, verses 27 to 30. It says this, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. He gave them what he promised, but bit by bit, so that they could fully possess it. Some things we're not ready for yet or wouldn't be good for us yet. He wasn't withholding blessing from them. He was assuring, ensuring that their blessing would be for the long haul. The same is true for you. Do you know that God is so crazy in love for you? He is so in love with you. He'd even risk your displeasure just to bless you. He's not withholding from you. He's ensuring your long-term blessing. Are you letting some of that love sink in this morning? Are you letting it kind of elbow out the why not me's? God's love is so incredible. When he has had to withhold something, it was out of love for you. It might not always seem that way, but it's the truth because it's the word of God. Why not me is not only the source of a lot of pain, it's also the source of a lot of sin. And guess who it began with? The sin of why not me began with Satan long ago. Spurgeon said this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you find yourself, divine love would have placed you there. So when we walk through Baca, we can chafe under it saying, why not me? Or choice number two, door number two here is we can try to erase it. We're good at trying to erase problems. We can deny it with fantasy, escapism, medicating the pain, idols, all sorts of things. But the author of this psalm realized that that wasn't the answer. And in verse 10, he tells us, Oh, a person could try to fill their life with a thousand elsewheres. Say that fast, a thousand elsewheres, right? What are the elsewheres? Bars and parties and drug houses and gambling halls and porn shops. And there's a thousand elsewheres you could try to fill your life with. But even one day, 
in the house of God is better than all of that put together. He says, I'd rather just be alive a little while as a servant in God's house than live a thousand times longer anywhere else. Friends, you made a wise choice today to come and dwell in God's house today. This author knew, maybe from experience, that heaping all that stuff, all the idols, all the drugs, alcohol, you name it, heaping all that stuff on a problem to try to cover it up or erase it wasn't gonna help. It will only serve to bury you. There's a better way. God desires for our hearts to be undivided, completely devoted to him, daily choosing him above everything else, all the other elsewheres. And as Christians, our strength is in him. It says that right there in verse 5. We don't need all those other things because our strength is in him. And verse 7 tells us we'll go from strength to strength all the way until we see him in heaven. That's what that Zion is about. We'll go strength to strength the whole way until we see him. Not headache to heartache. And this verse is perfect for people who have gone through Baca because when you've been hurt and you start to recover, what are we like? We're kind of skittish, right? Like, oh, I'm doing a little better today, but look out. What's coming around the corner? What's next? Right? And we recoil. We shrink back in our hearts. And God said, don't you believe it. You believe I am able to take you from strength to strength. This psalm gives us courage to face even the impossible. So I hope you don't just come and go today. I hope you press into this psalm. Read it, study it, allow it to nurture your soul because it gives us the courage to face even the impossible. Be encouraged today that your God is so able that he can even take imperfect people like us from strength to strength. So we can choose to chafe under it when we're in Baca and keep asking, why not me? We can try to erase the problem with all sorts of stuff, all the other thousands of elsewheres and other things, or we can do what this passage says. The Lord knows there's times that there's not a thing you can do about your baka. That you don't want to chafe under it, that you don't want to become bitter, but you feel it creeping up on you. He knows you don't want to blame him, but you know you didn't cause this situation. You don't want to erase it with idols and substitutes, but what do you do? What do I do? I'm praying, but something has to give. This present situation is unbearable. What do I do? I don't want to function in my own strength. I don't want to get ahead of God, but what am I supposed to do? That's been my cry, honestly. 
And this scripture is the answer he gave me, and it helped me profoundly, and I hope it will help you. So let's read the second half of verse six. But let's start with verse five. Let me find it again. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of wells. That's the answer. If you get nothing else out of today, that's the answer. What do you do when you're in Baca? You make it a place of wells. You dig a well. When you're in Baca, you dig a well. It's that simple. Not once everything is better, not once you're through it, right then and there you dig a well. Many times the only refreshment that can be found in barrenness are wells dug by people who they themselves were going through it, who they themselves needed refreshment. Individuals who faced all kinds of difficulties, but instead of giving up, instead of making bad choices like choice one and two, they said, I'm going to dig a well. A well that can turn a desert into a garden for someone else and perhaps in the process be refreshed themselves. Oh, it might not fix your baka, it's not a magic wand, but by digging a well, you'll be drawing on the strength the Lord promised, and you'll be declaring, I will not let Satan take me down. I will not let baka stop me. I will not give in to this. I will do something, I will fight back, I will dig a well. That's what it's declaring. I'll go to the very place of my deepest pain and tears and turn it, change it, transform it into a well of life for somebody else. So as they pass through, they have that refilling. The Lord promises to bless me if I do. I won't let go of that blessing. Don't you let go of that blessing. Dig a well. Blessed is the one who passes through the valley of Baca and makes it a well. I want you to say that with me. Blessed is the one who passes through the valley of Baca and makes it a well. Do you believe it? I mean, let's face it, we'd all rather just skip Baca altogether, but that's not real. So when you do pass through it, make it a well. A well is a place of refilling. Many parched people will never taste of living water unless they taste it through you and your relationship with God. Billions are searching and languishing. Dig a well for them. Even in the midst of your own barrenness, you're not going to feel like it. But even then, in your baka, dig a well. It's the only place where a parched world can be refilled. A well is a place of refreshing where tired folks can be rejuvenated. The world's tired, and many of our brothers and sisters are tired, and the only true rest is in Jesus. We can dig a well there where living waters can pool up and can quench others' thirst. 
It might mean hard work, scratching at dusty ground when we ourselves are tired from tears, but we can do it in his strength. He takes us from strength to strength. Blessed is the one who passes through the valley of Baca and makes it a well. A well is a place of rejoicing. If you go without water for even a short time, you'll know that finding it brings great happiness. And when people are at Baca, sometimes they think they'll never be happy again. It hurts too much. I've been passed over again. I've been hurt again. Why not me? If they could just refuse to indulge in the luxury of bitterness, and chafing, and why not me? If they could just refuse to shrink back and let the enemy have his way. If they could refuse the futile attempts at erasing pain with ineffective stuff, and instead make even the simplest attempts at digging a well. The Lord would come rushing in to fill up those pools. Just like the prodigal, the, the son only took a little step or two towards him and the father had been watching a long way off and he came running and he said, here I am. I just needed to see that you were headed towards me. And he comes running and he will come running towards your efforts and fill up those dry places in your life, those painful places, the places of garbage that people have dumped on you. And he said, I will come running in. Just take the first steps towards me. Just start to dig a little bit for someone else and you'll see what I can do and the refreshing that I'll bring. When we dig wells of refilling, refreshing, and rejoicing for others, the same will happen for us. There's seven things, and don't get caught up in long lists because we're going to tear through this super fast, but I was so excited to see this. I mean, when I've read this passage how many times, but when I saw it, and I saw it as the answer to my question, I almost dropped my teeth. I mean, it was just like, okay, here's what I do. But if I do, then I had all these other questions. Will it make a difference? Will it last? Will it this? Well, these seven things, you can look them up on your own time. You can study about this. There's seven things about the God-inspired wells that you dig. And you can take it home in your notes and do this yourself. But these God-inspired wells that you and I are called to dig for other people, they're needed everywhere. They're unaffected by time and season. That means there's going to be a lasting effect. They satisfy the deepest needs. That means you're going to make a difference. Christ is the source, so there's no pressure on you to have to produce. It makes life fruitful for you and for them. The supply is inexhaustible, and there is a universal call to partake in it. Somebody give a shout. 
That is good news. Those wells you dig for other people are going to have that lasting impact, that global impact. They're going to make a difference. So often we feel so helpless in this world that's a garbage dump. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. Dig a well. It's going to matter. It's going to last. Other people will be refilled and refreshed and renewed. That's what he wants us to do. So, Pastor Greta, give me an example, because I really don't know what you're talking about. Okay, good idea, I will. <laughs> what does it look like to dig a well? It can look a million different ways. Depending on your specific baka and your specific gifts, it can look a jillion different ways. But here's some examples. A woman who's despondent because of her empty nest takes a child from the neighborhood under her wing. She's digging a well in them. A man who's grieving the loss of his father sets up a program to read to the elderly and dedicates it to his dad. Someone who has been abused provides resources to others who have been abused. A child who's been bullied sets up clubs for kids to belong. Parents who lost a son in the military wrap Christmas packages for deployed servicemen. Someone who has no car sets up a system for others to access transportation. A woman who has lost her baby sews clothes for babies overseas. You see how many different ways this can look. I wanted to show you one example of this. This bag. There was a woman who was very much burdened by poverty, and she found a way to visit Manila in the Philippines. And in this place, there's a city made out of a garbage dump. It's a mountain. They call it Smoky Mountain because the garbage burns continuously. It's a little different than the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, but this is Smoky Mountain. In this garbage dump, seven stories high, and this is years ago, so who knows how high it is now, it was the home of 25,000 people. They lived there waiting for the next batch of garbage trucks to come so they could have something to eat. That's how they live, in filth and squalor. And the kids play in putrid water and disease and despair rule. And people exist with no hope. So this woman went there, lived with them for the summer, and she looked around and said, what do we have? And she saw the piles of old discarded newspapers. And she had an idea. And she taught the others in that garbage dump how to weave these bags out of newspapers. And that little thing, not just a small well, it's a small thing, that little thing, that micro-business, gave a salary and dignity and hope to many people. That's digging a well in a literal baka, a literal garbage dump of tears. 
There's so many ways to do it. It's not a matter of the specifics of where, when, how, what. The point is to dig a well. Dig a well, name your baka. Face it, name it, this is what's hurting me. This is the garbage that's been thrown at me. This is the thing that's bringing me to tears and dig a well. And you're saying, Pastor Greta, that doesn't sound too compassionate. It's the most compassionate thing I can do because yes, there is a season of grieving and tears. There's a season to just sort of take it all in and get over it. But then there's a season to dig a well and it will bring new life to you and to others. So yes, it is a very compassionate thing to do. Dig a well, large or small, that well will change your life. It won't bring back that loved one. It won't solve all of the baka, but it will bring refilling and refreshing and rejoicing to you and to others. You will be blessed because the word of God says blessed is the one who passes through the valley of Baca and makes it a well. Don't say I can't. God doesn't like that. That's little Ambuya giving him this. Don't say I can't, you can. Paul and Silas were even in chains and they found a way to dig a well. They dug a well with their praise so that all the people around them, the jailers, the other prisoners, they could hear it, hear that worship and they could draw on it and drink from it. Even when they were in chains, they dug a well. You can dig a well, I can dig a well. Even when pain and other situations have chained you up, you can still dig a well. Naomi lost her husband and two sons, both her sons, and still she's dug a well. Joseph had lost everything everything he owned, everyone he loved, the very people who were supposed to be loving him sold him like a piece of nothing into slavery. If anyone had a reason to give up and stare at the wall and cry the rest of their life, it was Joseph. He had every right. And some of you, I know some of your stories, you have every right to sit and stare and look at the wall and cry for the rest of your life. But if you don't give in to that, and if you fight back, and if you say, I am not letting this has taught me, I am gonna dig a well, and it might just be a little well in a little place for one person, but I am gonna dig a well. That's what God has for us. Dig a well. Dig a well. Dig a well. Even Esther, she risked her life to dig a well. She said, if I, I might die, but if I die, I will die digging a well for my people and what I believe in. These are hearts on pilgrimage. There's so many other Bible characters that I could talk about that I don't have time for. But it says of all of them, the world was not worthy of them because even in the midst of their baka, they dug a well. And you know people like that. 
Pastor Al lost his wife and he still dug a well. He dug a well in you and I. Pastor Tony lost his son, but he still dug a well. The family of joy had their own struggles and problems, but they looked out at this community and they said, we're gonna dig a well in the GNOC. And it has been a well of refreshing and refilling and renewing for many. We say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. God, do it again. And God looks at you and I and says, joy, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Keep filling that place up. Keep finding ways to reach the lost. Keep finding ways to refill and renew. Keep finding ways to dig a well. Dig a well. Dig a well. Whatever your feelings tell you, dig a well. It's no use to pray for the old days, Oswald Chambers says. He says, stand square where you are and make the present better than any past has been. Base all on your relationship to God and go forward and presently you'll find that what is emerging is infinitely better than the past ever was. Blessed is the one who passes through the Valley of Baca and makes it a well. Blessed too are the doers of the word, not just hearers. So here's what I'd like you to do. You've all been given a handout and if you don't have one or a pen, raise your hand and the ushers will get you one quickly but I want you to take just a minute and I want you to think about and write down, name your Valley of Baca. What has brought you to tears? What is the thing that's hurting you or holding you back or what garbage has been dumped on you? Write it down, name it. And then after that, write down the well you will dig, the well you will dig. It'll just take a minute. The meatloaf and the pot roast will wait. This is important because somebody's life is depending on the fact that you will dig a well today based on what you heard. Instead of just saying, well, yeah, we went to church. We heard. Be doers of the word. Put this into action and dig a well. Name your baka and then name the well that you will dig. And then we'll pray. Selves to you. May your word, may this word stick to us like glue until it's fulfilled in all of our lives. Thank you for those people who have dug wells in us. Teachers and pastors and parents and friends, so many people have dug wells in us and we're grateful. And we're also grateful that you, Lord Jesus, dug the greatest well of all, salvation, for us when you were in the Baca of all Bacas. You did that for us. You gave us your life. May we honor you with our lives. Please help us to dig a well and to dig well. We love you. Amen. 
Pastor James. And don't forget when you leave, as you exit the door, um, there is a gift to help you to remember to dig a well. But don't rush out. Come up and pray with somebody. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.